Hey, what's up, Geekscape? It's welcome to a brand new Geekscape episode. We are back here in the Westwood One studios, and I really, really, really hope that you've been enjoying, uh, I don't know, this last year of Geekscape that we've been reinvigorated as people like Derek Cranevelt, our managing editor on the Geekscape.net website, says, wow, the podcast has really been reinvigorated. I don't think that's a direct quote, but he said that to me recently, and it felt really good. <laughs> um, yeah, we are back here in the Westwood One studios. And if you are a longtime Geekscapist, you've seen us through a lot of changes. If you're a first-time Geekscapist, we're going to be talking movies and video games and comics. This is what Geekscape is. I've got a guest today, director James Cotton. And James has a new movie uh, out right now called Painted Woman. And you can find it in a million places. We're going to really get into it because I'm actually fascinated by it. Because I think James shot this movie in Oklahoma. Yes. And my producer brought it up as an option for a film from of mine recently, and I was like, it just so happens. This is like on Friday, I was having a conversation with George Callert, who some of you Geekscapists know, because he's my partner here with Geekscape. And he's like, you know, I thought about Oklahoma, and I've only had a conversation about Oklahoma as a shooting location, because you and I talked about it, James. So we'll talk about shooting in Oklahoma, because... Maybe it's in my future. Maybe it's not. I have no idea. But uh, as a Texan, you know I don't feel good about shooting old Oklahoma boy. <laughs> the rivalry is strong. <laughs> um, so we'll be shooting. Maybe probably talking a bit of production if you guys are filmmakers listening or just interested in the other side of the camera. We'll be talking about that stuff. Um, but again, uh, we're here. We're kicking ass. Wanted to talk to you guys on a technical level because I flipped a switch last Friday, not this past Friday, the Friday prior, to move us onto Omni. Omni is a hosting platform. We have moved off of SoundCloud. So if you're listening to this, like I, I said last week on the show, uh, you're definitely not listening to it on SoundCloud. Our episodes are now all edited, uh, all um, on Omni. And I sent an email in this past week because I was looking for – Ian Kerner and I sat down for a really great conversation about Marvel's Black Panther, and that is in the feed right now. You can go and listen to what Ian and I have to say about Marvel's Black Panther at length. Uh, I love doing those breakdowns with Ian, and that is in the feed. But I was like, hey, I've actually had a Black Panther on the show, like a real-life Black Panther my mentor and old film teacher, uh, Jamal Joseph, was a guest on my show. Uh, he was a guest on Geekscape, I think, about five years ago. He had a, uh, a book out um, called Panther Baby, and I recommend this book so much. It's his, bio bio it's his biography about being uh, the youngest member of the Panther 21 and his time spent in Leavenworth for you know, being arrested – on two occasions, first was in association with the, the Panther 21, which is pretty, which uh, you can say was, uh, I mean, we all, I thought it was wrongful. Uh, definitely read the book. It's pretty amazing. And then the second time, uh, I believe Jamal went to a prison where he discovered a theater and he discovered writing and all the things that led him to becoming a filmmaker uh, was because, you know what? That movement happened because... The, the streets where they lived just weren't being cleaned. Uh, the police weren't didn't care. city didn't care. And drugs were running rampant because of those problems. And Jamal and a group of, uh, you know, his guys were like, hey, we'll do it ourselves. And took on some vigilantism in the neighborhood. And you know what? When you're putting guns and stealing from drug dealers to flush their drugs down the drains, 
you're still stealing, and they're still going to throw you in jail, which is just crazy. Uh, but Jamal's a hero, and go back and listen to that episode. The reason I bring it up is I went looking for the episode, and I realized that there's only a search function on Omni on the back end. I can see I can search through episodes. You guys can't search through episodes. And I was like, wait, what if a Geekscapist in our almost 600 episodes of Geekscape wants to go back and listen to that one episode? There should be a, a search function, and I suggested that. So hopefully they will add a search function to the consumer end of Omni, and uh, you guys can search through all your old Geekscape episodes because um, <laughs> there's almost 600 episodes. Uh, the other thing I wanted to add was the reason that we moved was increased analytics and the ability for Westwood One to move us over uh, to really promote the show. And so what I started realizing was that I've got all these analytics and I joked last week about being able to know where you live. And I think I do know where you guys live to some extent for the most part. um, I'm sorry, James, but I just, I'm fascinated by some of this information I was getting. We've been a a podcast for um, 12 years and this is like a, a small sample size. This is just stuff that's happened in the last nine days of being on the Omni platform. But I've got a lot of numbers now, and I know a lot about how you all consume Geekscape. Okay? Almost 54% of you guys are on mobile. 38.9% of you are on desktop. A lot of iPhone users. A lot of Mac users. But the HTC Dream is coming in at 28% compared to iPhone's 34.8%. Again, this is a small sample size. But I found it fascinating to know how you guys consume Geekscape. And even more uh, fascinating was where uh, you're all living. Because I got to the bottom and I started looking at the geography of listenership. And I was like, okay, this is what I thought was my listenership. I I thought we were going to get, for sure, English-speaking countries, United States, Canada, United Kingdom, that was for sure. Uh, I'm a little that for sure. I mean, we are overwhelmingly United States, uh, Canada, and United Kingdom are kind of tied, but for distant second, no Australia. Charlie Amore, you're a longtime Geekscapist. I know you're out there. I know you listen from Australia. Um, James Harrigy, aren't you from Australia? If you're still listening, like, where's my Australian peeps at? So Australia did not. Like, we got the Philippines. We don't have Australia. So what's going on here? Um, We have Japan and Tokyo, and we don't have Australia. What's going on with my Australian listeners? I cannot, you know, deliver the show in any language but English, and I can barely speak English. So, like, what's up with my lack of Australian listeners? That being said, looking at the actual cities, I was thinking that doing this show that we probably have a lot of listeners in places like California and New York. New York City, we got Big Yanks representing, we got Frank Sanders. I know who the geeks gave us in New York are, and I know that there are more of them. I love you guys. I was also thinking California was going to pop up really, really strong on the list. And for the most part, now that the, low, the, the small sample size is starting to lengthen a little bit more, and you know, from like the five days to nine, you're right. California is coming in pretty good. Uh, but it's not Los Angeles. It's San Francisco. San Francisco is actually, uh, there's more listeners in San Francisco than Los Angeles, although it's pretty close. If I add Chula Vista, which is just east of Los Angeles, then Los Angeles doubles. We have as many listeners in Chula Vista as we do in L.A. 
<laughs> which is like Chula Vista. James, how would you describe Chula Vista? <laughs> I don't even know how to explain it. But you know, I mean, Chula Vista is like out on the it's, 210. Oh, yeah, it's way out there. It's like, okay, you know what? Shout out to Chula Vista. Okay, here's where, here's where my mind just goes crazy um, because I've never met a listener from this place. I didn't know we had listeners here. I didn't know. I've never met you. Uh, I don't think I have. Maybe you're on Geekscape Forever, our Facebook group. Um, but this again, small sample size, but the pattern is absolutely holding, um, by as much as almost seven or eight times, I have seven or eight times as many listeners in this city than anywhere else in the world. This city specifically, I'm getting more downloads again, small sample size for the last nine days than any other city in the world. And I would like a key to this city for providing you with so much free entertainment over the last nine days and continuing to, because my heart is in Silver Springs, Maryland. Silver Spring, Maryland. I love you guys so much. Silver Spring, Maryland has given me a ton of downloads, and I don't know who you are. Maybe you're a regular. Maybe you're a longtime person. Maybe uh, I just assumed that you lived in D.C., which is nearby. Um, and we're like, oh, yeah, that's the listener in D.C. Um, I don't think it's one person. I think it's a whole group of people, and they all live in Silver Spring, Maryland, birthplace of Chris Rock. I looked up a bunch of stuff about Silver Spring, Maryland, Maryland, and did you know that Silver Spring got its name by the amount of quartzite coming out of the spring upon its discovery? So Silver Spring, I love you so much and all of the happiness you bring. Silver Spring, I love you and now I will no longer sing about Silver Spring. Yep, you can keep listening to the podcast because I will not threaten you with singing ever again. <laughs> I love you, Silver Spring. Holy crap, don't know why you guys are really into it. And you know what? A small sample size because up against uh, up until uh, up until a few days ago, the sample size was also telling me that like um, Bentonville <laughs> was like huge uh, and Bloomington was. So uh, Silver Spring is kind of running away with it right now. But um, I'll, I'll update you guys again next week unless you really, really demand me not to. Uh, Bentonville. Bentonville uh, where? Let me see. Bentonville. I thought Bentonville was... Arkansas? It might be. Let me take a look. Because I know you're from Arkansas, James. <laughs> Let me see. Bentonville. Um, yeah. Bentonville, Arkansas. That's crazy. That's is awesome. That, is that place cool? Not cool. That's very cool. I'm just going to look at the Wikipedia it's like the, it's, a, it's the capital of Walmart. Bentonville. Yeah. Bentonville is a city of Arkansas. It's known as the birthplace of the retailer Walmart. Downtown Walmart. Uh, downtown's Walmart Museum includes founder Sam Walton's original five and dime store. They built a, a museum around his five and dime store, or did they transport the five and dime store into the museum? I'm guessing they did that. Um, no, it's still there. The original place is still there. It's, and they built a museum around it? Around it, yeah. Huh. I, this is crazy. Um, Bentonville. So, you know what? Gina Davis has a film festival there, which is where we premiered Painted Woman. Um, you know what? I heard that my friend Marie Jamora attended that film festival and said it was great. It's 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 amazing, right? Like they're they're so progressive and cool, and they got like a you know the female empowerment message and behind the scenes kind of stuff. It's it's great. And your film is perfect for that festival then, because this is such a, a female empowerment movie. Uh, Bentonville, 
let's put a pin in you. I will keep my eye on you. Uh, you, you hot spring of amazing progressive thought and Walmart. Um, <laughs> uh, I think my friend Jackie, uh, works for Walmart and I think she lives there. Um, but I, I can't give her all those downloads. I just, I just can't believe that she's doing all those downloads. So, um, Bentonville, you're, you're not winning the race yet, but you're, you know, Silver Spring is Silver Spring is like the Houston Rockets. Silver Spring is like the, if you took the Houston Rockets and the in the and the Golden State Warriors and you combined them. Have you ever been there? Are you are you going to go now? I've never been to Bentonville, but I've never been to Silver Spring. I, I you know, it's like no. I thought that I was going to get most of my downloads from Los Angeles and New York, and maybe my hometown of Austin. And Austin, what the f? Austin is all the way. You know, Austin's doing pretty good. Austin's at like almost Bentonville numbers. So Austin's doing pretty healthy, especially if I combine, um, which I won't, but if I were to combine uh, Bastrop County, which is right next to Austin, then we got ourselves some 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 a, a pretty good contender for almost being Houston numbers. Houston is I get, giving me more downloads. And you know what? Uh, Washington. So if you go by state, Maryland is still kicking ass. Maryland is up a third over California. It's all about that Silver Spring baby. Uh, yeah, it's Maryland, California, New York, and then Texas, and then D.C., So, and then Washington. But there's a very nice concentration there in the District of Columbia, Maryland area. So if, you, if, if you're a character in The Wire, you probably live in Geekscape. <laughs> Silver Spring, Maryland. I just want one day to go to Silver Spring and have them give me a key of the city and be like, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, you gotta you gotta get like a vehicle, the Geekscape mobile, and we gotta go to we gotta do a road trip. Yeah, take a road trip, road trip to Silver, Silver Spring. Spring to claim my key to the city. Uh, if you live in Silver Spring and you can get the mayor to Skype with me and be on the show, um, I'm all for it. So, Silver Springers, uh, get to work. See see if you can get the <laughs> highest ranking person in Silver Spring to come on the show. We can talk about Silver Spring and we'll probably talk about Star Wars and stuff too. Um, and that would be awesome. I would love that because my heart goes out to Silver Spring, you know, and until another city steps up to take the mantle, I'm a Silver Spring centered show. So every week, movies, video games, comics, and a little bit of Silver Spring news. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that this, uh, this podcast is being downloaded by people uh, in Silver Spring who are just not, you know, they're listening to podcasts at work. Maybe they're trying to pass the time and that they're getting a chuckle out of this conversation because I definitely got a chuckle out of you guys uh, downloading the show at such a high number. Uh, love you. And I hope it continues. Um, so let's talk to James. James and I met through longtime Geekscape friend and former uh, guest, Daniel Corey of Danger Cat. And Daniel's awesome. You guys may remember him because he came on the show to talk about his Moriarty uh, comic book uh, that Image put out. And then Daniel always is doing like – Daniel and I go to lunch about once or once every month or two, and we just have that <laughs> – Hey, James, you joined us for one of these. And we have those lunches where we look at each other as like indie creators and we just go, oh, <laughs> man, taking your lumps and dishing them out. Like what? Like I describe being an indie creator as being faced with this brick wall, right? There's like a brick wall. And your friends who are indie creators 
who you come up with have met this wall at around the same time that you've met this wall, but they've started to jump over the wall or phase through it or just get to the other side of the wall. And on the other side of the wall is like only another wall. Yeah, another wall, but that, but the wall allows you to pay for a house. Yeah, that, <laughs> that wall lets you buy a house, um, but you get to like buy a house. You get to move to like the next stage of your life. But yes, there's another wall, but um, I have not seen that wall. And we're sitting here at this wall, and we're like punching bricks in the wall, and we're like, okay, which of these bricks is going to crumble or give to get us on the other side of the wall? And you just keep punching all these different bricks. So with Daniel, uh, last time I'm, I'm, I saw him, like we were all talking VR, and he's had this VR thing. Um, and VR seems to be like the the brick that he's punching right now is virtual reality and stuff like that. And uh, and obviously, like Geekscape is my favorite brick in the wall, and I continue to punch it. And I love you, Silver Springs. And uh, but <laughs> but it's not easy, right? And I, so so I wanted to kind of know your path from Arkansas. I, uh, you did not grow up in Bentonville. Where did you grow up? Uh, I was born in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and then we moved to Salisbury, Oklahoma. Um, Cool. I guess like when I was in high school. Okay. And we, we owned a movie rental store. So there you go. There's the beginnings, right? So uh, you're only a few years older than me. So you came up at around the same time that movie rental stores, like mom and pop rental stores, weren't just Blockbuster yet. Yeah. And I'm guessing you guys did not run a Blockbuster. You guys ran like a neighborhood mom and pop rental store. It's called Movie Land. And it was like, uh, you know, it was the first place that had four copies per movie. Right. right. Oh, damn. Right. So, like, was that uh, Blockbuster only? Like, when a Hollywood Blockbuster came out, you guys made sure to buy four of them? Yeah, I mean, you, you, like, you make choices in the store. You get, like, you know, two of this one, four okay. of this one, whatever you think. But, the, yeah, with the Blockbusters, you go with them. Yeah, coming closer to the mic a little bit, All James. Right. But, um, but so, you've got this movie store, and you started in, your family started in Arkansas and moved to Oklahoma? Or did you start in Oklahoma when your dad was like, I'm, you know, I'm going to chase the dreams? Like, I don't know. Like, no, I, I just you know he uh, he was building houses and he had these these movie land stores that he bought in with some friends. And, and that's in Arkansas. Yeah, Arkansas, Oklahoma. It's right on the border. I'm a border town boy. Okay, so there is a border between Oklahoma and Arkansas. <laughs> Check your demographics. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I ain't. I don't got no Okies listening to my show. Um, and uh, I've gone. I've driven through. Arkansas, but I went through Texarkana. Oh, yeah, the southern part. Yeah, I went through Texarkana. No, what's the one that gets you into Tennessee? Gets into Memphis, uh, up north. Well, there was not really anything up there. West Memphis, Arkansas. Maybe, but, yeah. Like, yeah, I, but, but I didn't touch Oklahoma. I wouldn't have touched Oklahoma. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, like half, Texas boy. <laughs> half my dad's family lives in Oklahoma now. So, <laughs> um, so, uh, so it really wasn't that big of a shift to go from Arkansas to Oklahoma. It was like just moving state That's lines. That's just across the border, yeah. I mean, like, I, you know, if you've seen True Grit, when they uh-huh. cross the river, right. uh, and on, you know, she's on the horse and she goes across the river and she's in Oklahoma. Uh, that's actually where I'm from. I mean, I cross that river every day. Really? Yeah. So And the and, Fort and, Smith. And yeah. it is a state line. Yeah. And so your dad had, he, he went in on these video stores with a bunch of his friends and they were on both sides. Yeah. It was just the whole area. How many stores were there? Uh, I mean, I think with Movie Land, it was probably uh, all in 20, 30 stores. That's, not, that's, that's nothing to, like, shrug at. Like, that's pretty good. Yeah. And so you grew up with movies. Yeah. Like, the, that was your life. Why did your dad go into this? He was building homes, and he take, took a little bit of capital and said, hey, 
It was a business opportunity. For sure. For he's, he's all about money, right? But and is he a film guy? No, not really. That, I but mean, he made you into a film guy. Yeah, it totally made me one. And he, he, I think he like is the, probably the bane of his existence, you know, that he actually did that because he was library. a money guy. And now we're sitting here like indie filmmakers. Right, right. right. I'm, I'm punching bricks. So, I'm yeah. sorry, son, <laughs> that I damned you to this laugh of, <laughs> of bohemianism. <laughs> Um, so this whole area, so really when you say that you went to high school in Oklahoma versus Arkansas, it, it didn't, and, and I just assume those things because our state, our states are so damn big. Um, it's not like you were uprooted too much. It was almost like you went to like a, like a rival neighboring school. Yeah. I went to like the, almost a suburb of Fort Smith, right? Like Salisaw is just across the border, 30 minutes in. Right. I, you know, you came back to Fort Smith after, you know, and while I was in high school, I go back to Fort Smith for the, the fun. To go to the got it, and that's maybe like thirty minutes. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so so that's the area you grew up in, and like what what was it like having your dad and your family like and his friends like run an indie mom and pop like like. I mean, I eventually like in high school, I I I would manage the store. Sure, of course. So like, um, I I was the guy that we you know break down and and uh, you know everybody wanted to watch movies on the weekend or you know whatever, and we go down to movie land and I'd grab like t- 20 movies. When we closed the store, I went down and you know, like just totally took everything I could. I had like, you know, walls of movies. After. And like the cardboard cutouts and everything yeah. like that. Yeah. So the store shut down because that whole industry kind of went south. Like the whole um, VHS blockbuster thing and just kind of, they all Blockbuster was coming in and they started to really just, you know, take it down. It was like, it's like when Walmart moved into the, into the area. Bentonville. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so Walmart, Hey, shout out to Bentonville. So, um, when you so Walmart's uh, not Walmart. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Blockbuster is what kind of came in and started buying your locations, or started just kind of making their own. Buy the locations at first; they just moved in, right? And then once they moved in, and they're you know they have like nine copies per store. That's we just start to dry up. What about Hollywood Video? Remember them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They came in. Um, they came in next. It was vultures. Yeah, movie, Vult- ga- movie gallery is the southern version of Hollywood movie. Okay, wait. You guys were movie gallery. No, no, no we were movie Hollywood. land. You guys were movie land. Yeah. And now I'm confused. I'm thinking about like now I'm picturing like gang wars be- between like all these different places where like you like they all, they're all like rivals and they sabotage. I, eventually, each other. movie. Uh, the reason I know this was because my second feature, uh, you know, was was bought by Hollywood Video Movie Gallery. And then What's they that? Were, the, the, movie I know Hollywood Video. Yeah, Movie Gallery bought Hollywood Video okay. at one point, and they didn't change the name. They, they kept the stores in California, all Hollywood Video, and Movie Gallery was the southern company that bought them. And how long did Movie Gallery last? Are those companies still around? No, they're gone. And like Blockbuster's in fact, gone they too, went, right? I never got paid on my second movie from that company, so that's why I'm... Yeah, bitter. You sons of bitches. Um, so, okay, let's start. Let's, okay, so you're growing up in this movie store, like, yeah, like you're growing up in it, but you're growing up with basically this resource, which is what I'm fascinated by. Um, you're growing up with this resource where you're just, are you just watching movies all the time? All the time. All the time. What are some of the ones that, like, you just, like, started to really shape you, like, as a filmmaker you are today? Like, which are some of the ones that you were like, I remember when my dad sat me down in front of this, or I remember when I discovered this movie. Like, what were uh, I mean, I can remember different things. I mean, like, you know, I've always been fascinated with horror movies. Uh, uh-huh. I think because I snuck in, my, you know, my dad had nightmares watching uh, 
Michael Myers and in, in Halloween. Your dad and, did. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. A, you know, he just it was it tortured him for like weeks. Right? Sure. But uh, I, I remember sneaking in behind the couch, and he's watching Friday the Thirteenth, and you know when mom gets her head cut off, you know I'm behind the, original, the couch. Yeah. yeah, I was behind the, behind his chair, like peeking around, you know, and watching that happen, and I screamed, and you know, and he made me leave, but. And- and maybe that's, yeah, maybe that's a conversation for like Matt Kelly and Scott over at Horror Movie Night. I don't know. That's one of our other podcasts, and um, and I always wondered about people who loved horror movies to that obsessive level, like Matt Kelly does, mm-hmm. um, almost to a socially uh, um, restricting level, uh, <laughs> 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 almost to a level of like. Stunted growth. Um, but Matt is uh, obsessed with this stuff. And is it that whole thing where when you're a kid, the, the, all the taboo stuff is what you want? I think you know it's I mean? like we're fascinated by the things that uh, are new to us. And, mm-hmm. and when you feel fear for the first time, right, that becomes a, uh, adrenaline. It's sure. A, it's, a, it's a pump, right? So if, if, if you can get scared, awesome. Uh, you know what happens though is it dries up, and then you're none of it scares you, none of it surprises you anymore. Uh, you know, and and then you're not as fascinated with it. But so, how do you explain these thirty some odd year old dudes who are hosting this podcast for me? I think they, like they, <laughs> I don't know, I can't explain it. You know, I, I I still like a good horror movie. I still like to be scared, uh, right. but you know, like none of it's uh, that scary anymore. I, I would yeah. not explain it. Oh, uh, and so so you're so you're watching this. Watching these movies again, I was like, always fascinated with Steven Spielberg. You know, I'm, I'm the Star Wars generation. I'm like, I mean, this gets into you know why I'm here, why sure. you know why I've always been you know been friends with you. Yes, um, is it you know I'm a, I'm a geek at heart, and so like you know loving Star Wars my entire childhood, you know, is probably what drove it because mm-hmm. you know you're doing all the same things that everybody ever did. You you know you play with uh, Star Wars men and you're making stories up. Yes, and uh, I think that becomes part of your. Uh, I don't know, the vocabulary no, of what you're doing as a child. Well, I I, I read this really great article on trans, uh, transmedia. I teach a transmedia class in college, uh, at the college in, at a college in the Valley. And um, in the transmedia class, I was doing a research, and I, and I read this really great article about action figures and toys and why they help to create the cult characters, right? Like, so Boba Fett, um, his story wasn't told in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Like, we didn't get to see his story almost at all. We got Luke's story. We got Han's story. We got Leia's story. We got Chewie's story. Um, but we didn't get Boba Fett's story. We got the Boba Fett toy. So it was almost like the strategy was to make toys of everything. For sure, that was Kenner's model for Star Wars after the success of a New Hope's toy line. But we got these characters that didn't have their stories spelled out for us either on the movie screen or later the, with G.I. Joe and, and He-Man on the cartoon screen. And, you know, and so you end up authoring those stories yourself. Mm-hmm. And it was a really interesting article on authorship and create and becoming a storyteller, but also taking those, uh, the, 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 the role that toys played in, creating an, a sense of authorship for those characters and for those worlds. And I think that a lot of filmmakers just exploded out of there. Yeah. My worry now is when you look at things like Jurassic World 2 or that um, J.J.'s Star Wars, you know, the, the movies that get like, or Jurassic World where you see like movies that are getting, being uh, accused of being having like levels of remake is did we become cover artists in a way? Uh, I 
I agree. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with this. It's like, it's a, it's a big subject matter for me because I've been, I've been watching all the people griping about, you know, The Last Jedi and whatever sure. else. And, and, I, and I just feel like that, um, you know, as a filmmaker, I, where, where did story go? Um, it, it bugs me. You know, we're we're in a spectacle land, and it's like they've they've forgotten the art of the story, or you know, the hero's journey, or whatever. And when I watch, so when I watch anything, I'm like, you know, uh, uh, with the Star Wars thing, I, you know, I was I was I, I was disappointed. That was me in the Last Jedi. In Last Jedi, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was because I, I don't want to be um, the, even the spectacle of the joke. You know, like, am I am I just getting a joke to kind of keep me entertained? With something like the the green milk or something like that when Luke shoots into yeah, the mouth. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like Gatorade, kind of like this weird thing. Like, in the, and everybody's like looking back at Ray and smiling and like, hey, what's up? You know, <laughs> what is that? Or, or in the beginning with you know, the General Hux jokes, um, the, your mama joke on the phone. Yeah, it, I didn't know what was happening. It, it, it totally lost me because it was, uh, you know, and James Gunn did this really, really well with Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, so it's is this the culture that we're becoming where it's just like oh we're supposed to laugh at it not with it right and that's getting away from storytelling right like we laughed along with han solo we didn't yeah. laugh at him yeah and now it's become self-referential to a point of distancing yeah and and yeah. we're and we're also in a pc culture in a way that, that is afraid of drama and uh, you know we had to watch luke's you know aunt and uncle burning at sure. the house Sure. Uh, to understand where he was going to go on his journey. And I watched that as a, you know, how old was I? I was like four. Right. You know, like to watch that and, you know, for me to feel something. And I, it's like we're afraid of feelings anymore. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, therefore, all, the only thing you can do is laugh. Right. So that that's just something that kind of bugs me ab- about it. And, I, and maybe that's where that came from is, is that we're just kind of telling parody stories. And now we just want to entertain. Right. And, but isn't what i mean it's crazy to me but like uh and i actually love this take that you just presented because um the, the i mean i'm ne- i'm kind of neither here nor there the, the prequels kind of exhausted me right out of star wars but uh and i've tried i've tried getting back into star wars several times uh but i think uh i think i'm of the people who are like oh it's just not for me anymore uh i will enjoy I'm that uh, way today and i will enjoy <laughs> the movies yeah. i will I'll, I'll go and i'll see them once and i'll be like oh cool that was fun um, but I, the parts that I embraced about, uh, the last Jedi were parts that were counter to the kind of remake nature of, uh, the repeat nature of, um, but force JJ awakens. Did, yeah. So, right. for, so force awakens, the stuff that I thought was, was awesome to me were the parts where it almost felt like Nausicaa Valley in the sky where like, she's like going down sand dunes and stuff. And I was like, Oh, this is her. This is what her character is about. Where she, where she's just kind of existing in this world. She's dropping into these abandoned, you know, star destroyers and like adats and stuff, and like getting old pieces. I kind of wish that there was a, a a way for her to kind of already be some small introductory level of force adept at that point, where it's helping her like fall off these, you know, explore these large places. Mm. And I was like, okay, then it wouldn't have felt like so sudden that she suddenly had died, right? Like I felt like that that would have been nice. But I loved her going down the sand dunes. And for me, that was like really reminiscent of like the stuff in Miyazaki films where you have like Nausicaa just kind of existing out here. You know what I mean? Or like Princess Mononoke just kind of knows how to be out in the story. Or, um, you know, uh, Pazu in um, 
in in Castle in the Sky just kind of lives with like his pigeons and can kind of like work in a mine with his uncle and they're working with steam and then I'm like oh you've got these 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 characters before they're heroes just kind of being masters of their own little world before being thrust into a larger world and having to use those tools in them um the narratives that felt like they were repeated the third the three act kind of structure that felt like it was repeated with things like the you know Starkiller base and, and and that very much being like a New Hope structure. I like that Ryan Johnson went against it when when Luke took the lightsaber at the beginning of uh, Force Awakens. And guys, it's been two months, so I feel like we can talk about this stuff without you listening to Ian and I's special uh, spoilers. Otherwise, because sorry, <laughs> uh, it, this is Geekscape. Um, I mean, the, my first instinct when Luke took the, that lightsaber was like he's going to throw it away. He's going to toss it over his shoulder and just throw it away because, like, I don't want this to feel safe anymore. Does that make sense? So, like, I think there's a danger in the hero's journey, too, in saying, hey, this is Mad Libs for anybody who wants to write a narrative built around a lone hero. And I I don't love it. (laughs) I, I, I appreciate it. It is like, I think it's, for Western culture, it's the shit. And we all love it. Uh, I think it's in, integral to becoming a, a storyteller. I don't think creativity should be safe. And the stuff I liked about for The Last Jedi was the stuff that didn't feel safe. Yeah. That being said, there's <laughs> like a lot of mess. Oh, it, well, it's, <laughs> and I was like, uh. well, it became subversion for subversion's sake yes. at some point. Yeah. And that's what really starts to, you know, feel, feel messy in the entire thing. And, I mean, look, Ryan Johnson didn't have much of a, um, a a chance with what JJ had set up, right? I mean, there was there was a bunch of mess that was set up, right? Um, and he went to you know being subversive versus everything that was set up before. So in a way, you know, it's like well, course correction know, over subversion, pal. Like course correction, I think is what we needed a little bit more than subversion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would agree with that. I just like. Uh, I mean, you know, to me, when you're when you're saying the setup, I, I love in Force Awakens the beginning of the setup, right? But then it just like it loses itself, right? Uh, you, you know, when you have a character like Finn, who is a character who was a stormtrooper, suddenly now killing stormtroopers and gleefully laughing about killing his brothers, yeah, I, I'm lost. You know, you haven't made any kind of reality inside of your world building, and maybe that's what I've you know, feels lost to me. They gave him wedgies though. That was deleted scenes. You see the other stormtroopers giving him wedgies and he's like, I want you to die. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, stop it. They're like dunking his head in the Dianoga bath. Like, (laughs) like the walls are coming in and they're just like dumping him in the trash. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Things popping its eyeball out and laughing at him. (laughs) Like everything. Um, Yeah. No, I think I think um, too many cooks. That's that's what it becomes, and and also I, no plan. Nobody had a plan. Right. They're they're, they're just building this as they go, and you can see that all over it. And and I and I think that's also in the firing of the directors, or you know, sure, as many they're leaving over there. But um, and you hear that sometimes they're leaving and not being fired, but we hear that they're. I don't know what oh, the yeah. story is. Well, yeah, uh, Colin Trevorrow. Uh, Trevorrow, yeah. Uh, they, he he basically, uh, you know, had a different plan and didn't like, you know, uh, there, there was a magazine article that came out this week where he said, you know, that he wanted Luke alive and uh, and then that's where the fight started. 
Right. And, you know, he loses that battle. Yeah, Luke was very passive for somebody who left a map. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you don't want him to find you. No, it's like... They, like, they, Force Awakens is all about you leaving a map, dude. <laughs> like, I, a, like a map to Luke. When you forget, like, it's... it's in, I mean, that's why I go off on this for, like, the whole show. You can do whatever right? you want. But it's, I, but it's your I, geek's <laughs> But I feel like that when you start... You know, the, the off of the Force Awakens, and you go into the Last Jedi, and he's basically at the at, at the very beginning telling you that none of the Force Awakens even matters. Who, right. You know, and who cares about the original trilogy? I mean, like that's when the subversion for subversion sake. Yeah, he still over. has to be Luke Skywalker. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you still want a continuation of whatever it was that you saw before. And I, I don't think that, that you know in the setup of and look, JJ had a problem too because uh, you know I had a post house right next door to Bad Robot. Mm-hmm. And I would watch that writer up every day smoking a cigarette, you know, at JJ's office. You do what? It, this the writer that was yeah. doing Star Wars, and then he was gone. So like basically, and then he comes out on podcast that he quit, and it was three months before they were supposed to start shooting. The writer, yeah, yeah. And so then they hire uh, Kazdan to come in uh-huh. and work with JJ. So you know they're just trying to throw something together at the last minute to go along with the sets that they're already building. Oh no, you know. So this is what because. What that writer was saying in the podcast that I heard was this screenwriter. Yeah, yeah. That if that they couldn't get around every time that Luke came into the story, that it was it became Luke's story, right? And the edict from Disney was was that they wanted it to be about all these new characters, particularly Ray, right? So which you can do. I you I, can absolutely do. I I'm I'm so into that, right? But like when you when they're having the problem of that and they're bringing Luke in and they say, well, you know, it becomes Luke's story. Uh, which is, in a way, what the Colin uh, Trevorrow thing was. He wanted it to end with a Luke and Leia brother sister force thing. That's what they were saying the, the other day in the uh, podcast. Where they fight, or they no, like they the, come the, into the, some harmony. The, there's a harmony on the, right. on the on the the good side or something. Sure, right. But it, like, it's not their story. It's Ray's story. Sure. And if you didn't have a plan for where Ray started and where Ray ended, uh, and you're just letting every director writer come up with a different. You know, portion of the story. That's why at the end right. of the Last Jedi, it basically feels like the end of the story. It very much that when you see that little kid with the mop or whatever the heck it yeah, is, I was like, oh, this looks like the statement to all of us to like look to a larger galaxy. It looks like it looks like a message that would be the end of a trilogy, right? Um, and yeah, it absolutely felt like that. Um, Interesting, interesting, interesting. And I guess nobody wanted to do like the Ray saves the old folks thing. You know, it's like that pitch for the new Goonies. It was always like the new Goonies, the Goonies kids find out that the Goonies have been kidnapped, you know, and then like (laughs) they have to save the older Goonies. And like, I guess you you don't want to necessarily go that simple with Ray saving old Luke. Um, But I thought that I thought that she could have been such an interesting character. And there was elements in that movie for her to be such an interesting character. There was such a good setup. You know, and it's yeah. like, well, you know, hey, look, the second movie takes place over basically twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's another thing. You yeah. know, like the, the the timing of this whole movie because or, or, of both movies. Yeah. How do you follow that? I mean, like you know, the original trilogy took place over years. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think with the uh, Carrie Fisher, you know, passing that that they're going to have to they're going to have to jump finally in some right. time, right? But right. Uh, you know, where were the Knights of Ren? Where were all these setups that that happened? Uh, you know, hopefully they'll come back to a lot of that and answer that. And but I mean, you know, it's 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 just basic storytelling. There's things that you know, the, where's the bad guy? 
uh, and, and the bad guy in these movies is is you know the first order is like a dunce. Yeah, the, the first order felt artificially empowered in the second one. Yeah, it felt like this almost terroristic group that had had their big terrorist weapon removed was re-empowered because they had a massive fleet that was non-existent earlier. Right. You know, and now suddenly the the smaller fleet is gone. And I'm like, wait, this movie couldn't have taken place six hours after the last one. That's my, that's my biggest problem with it. I think after, you know, we've experienced the prequels, mm-hmm. right? Like that uh, there was a, a grandeur to everything inside of the prequels, even if you don't like the movies. Yeah. Right. Like the, then now we're going back to small and I understand for practical sake, I, I love all the practical sets. They and love everything. the personal stuff. Yeah. 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 And we, we need to get back to that, but like you still need to fill the size and scope of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't, it feel really small to you. Like it everything does. inside of each movie is like very, very small, almost very independent film. Well, Starkiller Base did eliminate five planets, but <laughs> <laughs> it does. It, in, and I think what I liked about the opening of Force Awakens was the personal nature to it um with ray and all that stuff but but it was it was it was buried pretty quickly i watched a um i watched uh, as much as i could take i kind of skipped through it but our old writer eric francisco who's now at inverse um what's up eric he uh shared this uh youtube of like a, a dvd extra from phantom menace that is just this cinema verite documentary that they were shooting throughout for uh, Phantom Menace. It's not really edited beyond just clips being put together. It's not narrated at all. And it's just from beginning of concept through the premiere of Phantom Menace. And find this thing on on, on YouTube if you can, Geekscapist, because it was fascinating for what I watched when I skipped through it. You're basically watching this entire thing come together and George making all these decisions about what be, ended up becoming Phantom Menace and you're watching it and y- hindsight is 2020 on that thing you mm-hmm. know and you're watching it and you're like damn because you remember 1999 you remember 97 98 and you're just be like whoa this is uh this is unstoppable this is gonna be like this is gonna be the shit and uh, I don't know. I was watching Netflix, uh, this new show, which I only discovered because of Matt Kelly ranting about ska music uh, being used in a show that's supposed to take place in 97 um, or 96. It's a movie called Everything Sucks. It's a show called Everything Sucks on, on Netflix. Have you seen this? No. It's a high school show. It's kind of like a Freaks and Geeks type show. It has a lot of heart to it. I really enjoy it. Um, the episodes that I've seen so far. Uh, and they're talking about how awesome the special editions are going to be. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> where they like added Java back in and so like that. And I was like, ah, no revision. You don't. Once you give it to the audience, you can't touch it. You got to touch it for very special occasions, like a 40th anniversary, like a 20th anniversary. We don't don't replace the guns with cell phones or, or, or walkie talkies. <laughs> right. that, that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gr- I think, Greedo shooting first, right? That's, that's yeah, and I think on. it goes back to what you're saying. It's like, hey, we you can't undo Luke's aunt and uncle burning, right? You know what I mean? And like, you shouldn't like like you leave something for that kid peeking around the couch. Well, we we don't have anything in these movies that we that makes us care, right? Right? Like, I mean, uh, Han Solo dealing. Like, I mean, there was all those things about you know him and Leia being awful parents. You know, like sure, a, but that's because he's just a, he's he's just joking. The the moment he comes on set or you know, set into into the story till the time that he dies, you know, there, there's a bit of a tragic 
death, but it's it's too late. Mm-hmm. I, I, I I haven't had anything to care about with him. Right. You know, if you if you walk in on if if Finn and uh, Ray in, walk in some bar and he's drunk in the corner because he can't deal with what you know what he's done with his life and where his son is. Then you know you have some reason to care, but they're just oh, too afraid. Nasty. To, yeah, that would have been so nasty. Too afraid to to deal with any of those issues, and I, I, you know I don't know if that's a you know a Disney thing or not. I can't. I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't know. But it seems Marvel still deals with it because you watch Black Panther and there's all kinds of drama going yeah. around about stuff. Yeah, they're tossing people off cliffs. They're killing family members left and right. Da, yeah. Da, 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 da. Yeah. You know, yeah. In some in in some way, Disney's uh, with Star Wars is afraid of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just supposed to get to the next joke. Yeah, how sick would an entrance have been like that? Yeah, when you first meet them, they're gallivant. It's like just like old times, but these characters shouldn't be just like old times. We have old times. They're sitting on our DVD debt like yeah. shelf. Um, yeah, I think you're right. You um, know, Leia being sad, uh, you know, rather than smarmy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like evolve the character. That's why I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not so anti what they did with Luke, but, um, but I am still. It's it's still not my, you know, or what I, I just did the hashtag. Well, well Mark <laughs> Hamill said it. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, Mark Hamill said not my Luke Skywalker. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you know, like it's it's uh, and I in in every way possible, I disagree with the choice. But I think that you know, I'm, but make a choice and right. let let us really understand why that choice happened. It's like they don't want to tell any backstory. They don't want to you know get into anything. And and that's what really you know killed me about the, all the questions that JJ set up because you know he's the lost guy. Hmm. And then we go to the th- next movie and it's like oh well none of those questions even matter either. You know? Yeah, um, is he? My thing with JJ is is he as interested in the answers as he is with the questions. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like like and um, you know somebody reposted his TED talk about the the what's in the box thing. Like he you know uh, his. I'm paraphrasing like crazy. My apologies to Mr. Abrams, but uh, he had a TED Talks where there was a box on stage, and he's like, "Hey, the mystery is like, what's in this box? Um, how can that ever live up to the question? You know what I mean?" So you have this Schrodinger's cat type thing where it's all about the anticipation. I really think the groundwork needs to really be there. <laughs> Once the plane hits the group, hits the runway, you really got to be able to like like bring the thing in. You know what I mean? Like you can have the thing doing as many aerial acrobatics as you want, and everybody's like, "Wow, that's phenomenal!" You want to be able to meet the pilot and shake their hand at the end, yes. and that means like let's land the thing, please. Like you know, uh, you don't get you don't score points for you know faking out your opponent and doing a spin move to the basket if you break the layup. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like your team doesn't go up. <laughs> you pretty much just cause a fast break while you landed on some cheerleader. Um, so let's talk about your movie. So you you you've got this new movie, Painted Woman, Painted yeah. Lady, Painted Woman, Painted Woman. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was Painted Woman. Uh, she grows up in this one. So <laughs> and um, in in this case, this is your third film. Uh, fourth. Fourth. Fourth directed. I've, I've produced 10 and... Uh, edited some stuff. Yeah. Dude, you edited Captain Fantastic. I, you I, were one of the team. I was on the team that basically... I didn't do any editing. But I, I think that movie's fucking awesome. That movie's awesome. And, and Matt's a really cool dude. Dude. And, yeah. He, I mean, like he's just so down to earth. He's, you know, he's awesome. But um, I, 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 own, local, I owned Local Hero Post. Okay. Which... Uh, 
you know, basically made me kind of the captain of bringing the movies in and kind of overwatching. Them. I didn't know that was you. Every time I go to House of Secrets and I see Local Hero and you guys had the coolest logo, little guy in his cape, like in his hands on his waist, his fist on his waist, little superhero. I didn't know that was you. Oh, yeah. That's your company. Yeah. Local Hero Post. Yeah. And you sold it. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. No, I had, uh, I, I, I was like my friend, uh, Leandro Marini. He's the, he's the, you know, the creator of sure. Local Hero. And, uh, he did my second movie, Sugar Creek. And okay. we became friends. And then eventually, you know, he just wanted somebody to come in and help him, you know, bring in more business and whatever else. And, and, uh, yeah, I've, I'm very fascinated with the post process, and I, I I love it. I think you know that's where a lot of the creation can happen. Sure. So um, he's, I mean, you know, he's an excellent colorist. That's where the majority of the work was. And it's was, still there. Local heroes. Yeah, still it's still there. Yeah. there. They, they've gone on uh, and you know uh, put a major investment into the into the company. It's over in Santa Monica. You know, they're doing like all of all of the stuff on uh, Big Little Lies. Mm-hmm. It's it, not in Burbank anymore. No. Okay. Cool. No. No. It's a, it's over in. Uh, yeah, you saw my 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 symbol that I, when I was getting ready to rebrand the company with the guy standing there yeah. with the L H on his chest. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and it was down the street from House of Secrets. Yeah, I remember very fondly. And you guys are in Santa Monica now. How long yeah. have you guys been in Santa Monica? A couple uh, years. They've been they've been there for a while. I mm-hmm. mean, like that, that was just us like toying with this another office in Burbank, cool. right? But they've been uh, they were in Orange. Uh, oh. in Hollywood for a while like when that's when I first met Leo and then uh, he you know found a partner in Santa Monica and moved out there and when you know when we and started you keep making movies like you're like I gotta keep making movies pal. yeah I mean that's the it's you know look I think the, it's both you you making movies is all about networking sure uh, owning a post house was really great for my network you know um, but I, I also found spending so much time trying to, you know, post houses or the post business is hard because everybody's out, you know, it's under a sales under, business. Uh, yeah, yeah. And they're, they're underbidding each other. And, uh, you know, like what was once considered a black art of, of how you do post, uh, everybody's doing it and they're doing their basement. And, and you see some funky stuff starting to show up in movies where it's like, yo, you underbid to the point of. Just making compromising your quality, yeah, your yeah. quality kind of got compromised. Yeah, and like, and I don't blame. Trust me, there's some. I, I won't say any names. Sure, uh, but there was a, a director that you know came in with his project, and you know he, they've got thirty thousand dollars in their budget for uh, visual effects, and the movie's supposed to you know all happen underwater. What? Um, so like, uh, how am I? How am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to you know? Just make everything bluer. Right, like, and, and and he wants to see everything. He wants to see like you know fish and you know things moving in the water, no. and, and you're like, you know, at this budget level and what we can do, we, that no, you hide it, you make it dark, you yeah. know, it's just in what's in the it's light. Like snorks. I guess we're never gonna get our Snorks movie, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we're never gonna get the Snorks film. Um, so, this is your fourth film. Painted Woman. Yeah. And like where did it come from? Because it is such a female centric like it's such a, a like a like a pro woman hmm. I think it is, but then you've got that first act. <laughs> that first act is a woman really getting the screws put to her. And uh and then you kinda get this I don't want to spoil it for you, Gatescapers, which is why I'm picking my way through this. Um then you get I want to say it's a breakout, but there's still lessons to be learned going on. But you've got this period piece. And I want to talk a couple times about a couple of things. First off, you took on an independent movie 
as a period piece that takes place in 1899 in the West. Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> <laughs> um, look, uh, you know, you have to get through the whole career for me and uh, to understand the answer to that question. I think. Go for I, it. I, I think Go that, for it. You know, um, when I started, uh, you know, I went to film school in London and and uh, eventually get to Los Angeles Film School down on Ivar Sunset. Yeah. And uh, Roger Corman spoke at my graduation, and I, uh, the dean runs up to me afterwards, and is like Roger's going to make a movie with the school, so uh, get your stuff in. So I got, I, you know, I sent in my my stuff, and uh, and I got selected to direct. So now I'm directing, and you know what was told to me was going to be a four hundred thousand dollar horror well, movie. Yeah, it's Roger Corman film. Okay. And, yeah, ends up being an eighty thousand dollar, you know, horror Ooh. movie, but Demon and Prostitutes, right? right? Called Demon Slayer. So you're directing that, you know, and look, I, I learned a lot though. And I learned how to, you know, do things faster and better. And, um, you know, like it's, it's all under duress. So like, you know, you just have to be creative inside of what you've been given. You're making this $80,000 demon slayer. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably pretty badass. Yeah. Hey, Matt Kelly, you're probably going to want to watch that movie. Oh, um, dude, it's, uh, it was, so it was one of those movies where like the horror fans at first, like ripped me apart. Right. But then it plays on sci-fi and it finds its audience because it's basically a grown up Scooby-Doo episode. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's like, okay. It, I'm in. I, I've got. I'm a, in. I've got like a, a, a monster squad joke in it, right? Like, like okay. I mean, that's I was yeah. ripping things off and having fun, right? Okay. Like, we're like, oh, can you get the Wolfman's Got Nards line in there? And I was like, yeah, well, we oh, we'll find it. We'll find a place. <laughs> we'll find a place. So you know, I, I do that, and then um, you know, I knew what kind of money it made, so I went out to uh, Brandon Tross shot Demon Slayer. Made, made or didn't make. Uh, <laughs> like what? when you think about Demon Slayer, like you knew what money it made or did not make. Oh, did make. Uh, yeah, it made a lot. Of it money. made a lot of money out of that eighty thousand. And Brandon shot it. Yeah, we've had Jason, uh, his brother, on the show. I don't know if we've had Brandon on the show, but Brandon shot FP mm-hmm. and shot a ton of stuff. I met Brandon on Crank Two. He yeah. was shooting that with with yeah. That's like right guys. after uh, you know. Uh, right after I was, I'd left to go back to make sure. And now he's exploded because he's shooting all the Seth Rogen stuff. Yeah. He just shot Disaster, Disaster Artist. Artist. Yeah. yeah. So you got this uh, demon thing, <laughs> Demon Slayer, which Matt Kelly is going to bring a review of. Uh, so subscribe to Horror Movie Night. Um, and what is this thing? Like, like it makes money for them. You go and you get Brandon, who yeah, went to br- school with you. Yeah, Brandon and I went to school together. And, yeah. you know, and, and he was my DP on Demon Slayer badass and we you know and we just made it like fun for us like i mean it's like it's a, it's it's a big inside joke between brandon and i what are you gonna do it's eighty thousand dollars like you're you yeah. just gotta go and not embarrass yourself totally well you know, I, I tried to keep I, I kept trying to make roger corman jokes in it you know like this is what you'd see in some kind of crazy yeah. bad roger corman movie you know and 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 it, it it is everything that those things are and it's it's you know it's, it's supposed to be just fun and like you know Forget about it. It's it's not real horror. You know, I'm stabbing a demon in the head with a screwdriver for fun. Sounds right? pretty badass. Yeah. So we do this for eighty thousand dollars. I I know even before he's I, I did a uh, documentary for Japan on Roger Corman. It's a cool thing that you've got me and Ron Howard sitting beside each other, mm. and they, it's like they ask us, you know, what was it like to work for Roger Corman? He and didn't want Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I said uh, exploited, and so did Ron Howard. So it was like exploited. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, Ron, uh, uh, or Roger was, you know, so good to me and I'm very happy to be in that, you know, lineage. My first movie, like, you know, Ron Howard, James Cameron, Martin Scorsese, mm-hmm. they all did their first movie. With uh, who, um, and John Sayles. Yeah. Did yeah. Piranha. Yeah. 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 So like it's, it, you know, there's 
and everybody's really kind of gone through there. Uh, he sold it in uh, China for three hundred thousand dollars before we even finished shooting. Yeah, it's like let me tell you guys, you've got a demon with a screwdriver going through his head. Yeah, <laughs> the demon slayer knows how to slay these demons. <laughs> so once you do the the demon slayer, like, what's the story? Like, what do you do? Well, you know, you I go out to to make sure Creek, which is another idea for Brandon and I to do, and uh, you know, we had to, he he'd done a movie called oh man, Lightning Bug. With okay. uh, Laura uh, Propon. And uh, so I brought Laura on the Sugar Creek, and we were going to make a Western uh, horror movie. And th- that was the, where the idea came from. So, like, I go out to um, I, I go out to Arkansas and start raising money. You just uh, want to shoot money back. You just want to shoot back home. You just want to shoot a movie back not home. Not really. I mean, like, I, th- I, I just started finding home where I could – or finding people back home that would help me find money. Right. You know, and that's that's right. the main thing, right? Like, like out here, I had Laura Propon – uh, David Strathairn, Eric Balfour, uh, which was he was and David Strathairn got nominated for an Oscar for yes. that George Clooney movie, didn't he? Yep. Wow. Good night. Good luck. Good night. Good luck. Damn. Yeah. And it's so, not worth anything, is it? It's not worth anything. Jesus and Christ. I, I can't. You know, I, UTA's behind me. I, I you know, I, I wanted to make the movie for three million dollars, Sugar mm-hmm. Creek, and I've got all these people behind me, but nobody will help me raise a dime. This is where I learned the producer game. Mm-hmm. Right, like there's a million people running around Los Angeles saying they know how to produce movies, and they'll mess around with the budget and they'll tell you about which actors they want to be in different roles and what means something, but they don't know how to raise a dime, and they don't know how to sell anything, and they don't know they don't know they don't know the real principles of of producing, mm-hmm. right? So um, I, I went through four of those, and they'll, and they'll always sue you later and say that they own a piece of your concept. Yeah, even though yeah. they didn't do Jack, they didn't do Jack, and I paid them money. Right, you know, out of my pocket, right? So I, and then I was like, wait, I'm paying money. I'm the producer. You're the producer. You're already putting money into the project. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I wrote it. it, it I put my property into this. Mm-hmm. I, it's 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 mine. So I, you know, go out to Arkansas and you know, I, two years of sleeping on my dad's couch and raising money. I had three hundred thousand um, dollars, and I'm going to make a western, you know, horror uh, sleepy hollow kind right. of story. And uh, you know, which is all the wrong things to do. The wrong is, is a bad mistake in 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 growth of career because you. But I always wanted to like exceed what it was that I had. Right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that leads me to uh, you know making La Lina, which was uh, my Andy Garcia Ray Liotta drug cartel story because the people that producing that movie saw Demon uh, Slayer saw Demon Slayer. Not they, they saw Sugar Creek. Sugar Creek. Yeah. And they were like, you made Sugar Creek for 300 grand. I made it for 300 grand. Yeah. And who was in it? Uh, not really anybody. I right. mean, I had Kevin Gage cause I was a big, Did Brandon, but Brandon didn't end up shooting it. No, he didn't shoot it. So no. you just, you were like, fuck man, if this movie's either going to happen with the team I wanted or it's going to ha- not happen at all. Yeah. Or it's gonna I, I, happen, I got to the place I, of $300,000. Yeah. Somebody pulled the first 10 grand from me and I was like, it's now or never. It's now or never. Gotta make it. I can't, I can't afford to like. I mean, look, I, the movie would have been way better if Brandon shot it, right? Of course. But, like, like I can't bring Brandon out without paychecks. Um, his crew, like, his no, crew. he's got a team. No, yeah. So can't you know, it. you you have to make choices, and you make choices, and you and you make the movie the best you way. So you can. made this second movie, Sugar Creek, yeah. And then La Linea was the one where it's like, hey, that Sugar Creek was pretty good. Do you believe that Sugar Creek was pretty good? I mean, I I, I think that I, I uh, overcame a lot of filmmaker obstacles right. and made a, a, a decent film for what 
it was made for. What was that like? So sitting on your, cause we're always in, in the thread of that. What was that like? Like those two years that you're like back on your dad's couch? Uh, look, I mean, there's, there was a lot of really great things that happened during that time too. I, I worked on a, a movie called come early morning, um, where I'm, I'm getting to act with Ashley Judd. Wow. Uh, it's Joey Lauren Adams first directorial movie. And yeah, I heard it, that one had a pretty good festival run. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, like, you know, I had a little small part in that movie, and um, I, I got to, you know, I was, I mean, when you're in Arkansas, right? You're the, and you've made something. You're like, there was me and Billy celebrity. Bob. Yeah, there's me and Billy Bob Thornton, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I, I mean, like, I would, I would never take any of that back, but you know, internally, you're screaming. It's it's hard, man, because right. you know, like, I, I don't want to be living on my dad's couch you know i don't want to do any of that but i, I your dad single dad yeah at the time Yo, yeah. dude come oh dude he doesn't want you living on his couch either right. he got plans for that couch <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs> he already made you, you don't you. even know how much uh, he's moving on <laughs> <laughs> so i uh you know i i guess that's the, the the end of that story is is that you know but everything begets something else and i think that that's something that young filmmakers should really um know is is that you know uh, find things that you can do right. and do them well, and that will buy you something. You know, you'll you'll end up getting a La Lina, uh, but then La Lina has its own thing, right? Like uh, the producer is the writer, mm-hmm. and I can't get him to budge on the script. Okay, um, you know, and then once Ray Liotta and Andy Garcia buy in, you know, there is definitely no budging on the script. Although they're telling you, hey, get him to change the script. Yeah, you guys get him to change the script. You, you, you know, guys, he, yeah, he paid you guys you. are worth more weight than me at this point, right? Like, I mean, like I'm here to uh, Just basically get it shot, get it done. And you know, I, I got hired onto a million dollar movie, uh, and then it be, you know it skyrockets to a three and a half million dollar movie. But here's where like it still does me good to this day is that I've worked with big name talent. Mm-hmm. I have, um, you know, I, I've made a movie that made twenty million dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, they made it for we made it for three and a half. Sold it. To, Blockbuster, Blockbuster was on the dying. Yeah, but they things. were still buying content. They, 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 they buy were buying exclusive their exclusive content. content. Why don't they just go online with the, like this? You know what I mean? Like, oh, that, that's where the money should have been spent. And I mean, but you know, I've got glorious pictures of my movie covering an entire wall. Sure, it, it feels like because I had a conversation about a project last week, and the producer on the other side of the phone was like. Uh, the stra- you know introduce the strategy of Netflix and Netflix paying for it or acquiring it after and it's like Blockbuster had it all won they had the game won they were the Silver Spring Mar- Maryland of the <laughs> home video game and they rested you know what I mean yeah. and they could have just made that transition with that Florida money that they had in Blockbuster I mean that Blockbuster stuff they were making their own content and this and that like they were just they didn't Get hit to the distribution game in time. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't know how to roll it over to that. They, I mean, right. they were trying. They were trying to do that mellower thing, right? But like, but they got so convoluted inside of themselves, and they went to the exclusive content, and they were paying out the. Yeah, the reason that we made nine million dollars was not, no. Was it twelve? Don't tell 12, me. You no, may it, not like, want to talk about this online, but yeah, uh, go for it. Well, no, 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 no. Like, because I, I didn't see a dime. Right, and then the company that bought it is out of business now. Right, um, but. I just tell you that, like, there was an amount of money that was so big, um, you know, and it was because they'd done a movie called Crossing Over mm-hmm. uh, that had the paid. The Jesus one? No, the, oh, the, the the one with Ashley Judd and Ray Liotta and Harrison Ford. Okay. Another, you know, uh, Mexican border movie. Okay, got it. And they bought that for a similar number, 
as mine. But my their movie was made for nine million dollars. Yeah, yours was not. Mine yours was made for three point five. Right. So um, you make that, and then how does that land in with Painted Woman? Like, how does that? How does this end up being this? Well, I, I just after that, I had I, you know, I had a nice run of 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 big meetings, and and uh, I you know I was going to be hired onto an Ice Cube produced movie that was uh, like you know big. Sure. And uh, I was I was really excited about that. And you watch the all every one of these movies kind of comes crashing down, right? Like, so what do I rely on? Well, I start relying on my producing. Right, right. Like I can produce movies, I can produce content with uh, first-time filmmakers, you know, and that's where a lot of my producing credits comes from. But what, you know, where where that leads to Painted Woman is that you know, I, then I buy into the local hero, and you know, I, I do that run for a few years. Uh, you know, it's really about getting back to directing, mm-hmm. and um, uh, you know, directing is the passion. It's 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 why I learned how to produce. I, I happen to be a better producer than like you know. 90% of the ones that tell me that they're, they're producers. Um, and I've done more content than those people. But, um, you know, after you do, you know, I, you, I mean, you lose your confidence inside of yourself as a director. Sure. You know, um, yeah, you get they, cobwebs. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, the, I, I had been on one project that I've been trying to get to happen, the whole local hero run. And, uh, even that one, uh, the producers told me that they were funded. Take me out to Mississippi, run me all the way up to, to Tech Scout. And then the day after Tech Scout, tell me that they don't have the money. And by the Shirts. way, took, uh, you know, like it took money from me to start it. By the way, and you know, and and so, and these were my friends, right? Oh, uh. yeah, uh, people that I had known for seven years, and they're lying to me flat out. So now you need to be in charge of the money. Yeah. Like you need to be in charge of the money. I don't. Like you, I, I don't need you know somebody I mean? else like, telling me that they're a producer and yeah. they're producing my content when I know how to produce better than you do. Right. You know, I don't need that. It's 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 just it gets really negative really sure. fast, and it's not that I you know know more than anybody or like that I have that I want to have some kind of ego driven thing. It's just, dude, you know, like I can't I, I can't trust people anymore. I, that, that's the hard part. Right. Uh, and inside of that, um, you know, I come back and and uh, I met uh, Amber Lindley and and. Uh, the other producers for Painted Woman. And, you know, um, uh, Amber and the other producers had never made a movie before. Mm-hmm. So they're the ones choosing to make a Western for... Oh. Uh, they, they had this Dusty Richards book, which was a, a really famous Western author. And, you know, they're trying to make a, a really smart business play based on he has a fan base or whatever, right? right? And so then when that happens... Um, it, they they need somebody that can pull it off, and so it was almost like a little for hire. But you had to go write the script and direct the baby. Well, I, I would say that they had a script at first, uh, but you know when when people don't know, they they end up writing Braveheart and expect to be able to make it for you know five hundred thousand right, or seven fifty right, right. or whatever, right? And um and you know I, I I slowly gained the trust of them as producers and like you know showing them like okay look you know this is La Lina made for three million dollars. Right. This is Sugar Creek made for three hundred thousand. In pre-production, you did that, or over the course of production? Uh, in some of the course of pre-production, and then uh, the, the things that I'm really proud about inside of Painted Woman was that they eventually gave me the reins to the story. Finally, mm-hmm. uh, at about four weeks out from shooting, so like just like sure. I said about JJ with the Star sure. Wars thing, uh, you know, I I wrote this script uh, four weeks before we shot it, and three in three days. This one that we yeah. that I watched yesterday. The one that you watched yesterday. Yeah, I think like the when when you get to this 
in Geekscape, as I say, give it a shot. The movie's available in many places. Uh, go for it. Where are all the places you can get a um, VOD? Voodoo, Google Play, uh, Walmart. iTunes, Walmart. Yeah, Bentonville. Uh, go, go to the Walmart and pick it up, <laughs> Painted Woman. Um, and, I, and I'm watching this thing, and the first act is challenging for me because there's really not an inciting incident that's working too much. So there's a bit of propulsion issue that I'm like, I'm like, okay, my main character is a little passive in all the goings ons right now, but because she is a, like she's a prostitute geekscape is what it's about is like this woman. And you see it. I actually, I thought that was pretty tight. <laughs> was was how you introduce her into her current state. You see her from a little girl going through hardships and then she ends up and now she's a prostitute in the West. And I was like, wow, that was pretty, that was a pretty cool way to do that. And I don't know what production you're shooting. You were shooting everything really tight. And I'm like, okay, everything's really tight. It's claustrophobic, which absolutely I'm getting is maybe a choice of yours for sure. And I'm getting it. And I'm like, okay, but I still can't get through this problem that this woman is a prostitute and other people are dictating like her life. And they obviously don't have the best interest. They don't have her best interest. And, you know, and I'm like waiting for the movie to break open. And it really does after that first act. And I feel like, Everything broke it open after that first act. As soon as you guys were shooting daylight and stuff like that, I thought the imagery in the last two thirds of this movie, I was like, holy shit. Like some of the stuff you shot was beautiful. No, thanks. Like the, the, I mean, the stuff with the horses and the acting and everything, it just feels like this movie opens up and it kind of mirrors the character's journey. I was like, okay, like now we're cooking with gas. And when I, when the movie ended, I was like, I really, really enjoyed this thing. And I mean, I saw other movies over the weekend and this is the one I enjoyed. And, and when you hear, like, when you find out what else I watched over the weekend, you'll be like, oh, well, that's too bad. Major motion pictures of America. <laughs> but I enjoyed this one, even though I had challenges in that first act. Did you understand where I was on that Absolutely. stuff? Absolutely. Where I was like, either, I wanted either, you to. either you're shooting around production, like I'm watching, you're shooting in separation, which is like, okay, cool. Shoot in separation. I'm totally down with you shooting in separation. Some of the eye lines are driving me crazy. And you in and there's this disorienting feel to everything. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Where I'm like not knowing where people are sitting and so and I'm like sitting there going, ah and then I then and I was like I was like, Well, this is the only movie I've seen of James. I was like, Is James what is James who is this James? And then you open up into the rest of the movie and I was like Oh, we're 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 now we're rocking, like <laughs> we're doing great. <laughs> and I was like, he was fucking with us or something. I don't know what's going on, but I was like, that was a challenging first act. And that should not dismay any of you geeks gave us to go and see this, especially if you're a filmmaker. If you're a filmmaker, like, like challenge or not challenge, like design is the key to doing this and making bold choices. And I said, you can't be, when it comes to creativity, you got to take some risks. And you were taking risks with that. I mean, it, it almost feels like, part of a different mood. Like I was like, did he switch DPs? Like what is happening? Does no. that make sense? Do you understand what yeah, I feel I do. that way? I do. I do. Like, um, um, Leo would say that often when we were watching it. Like he's wondering if the first, uh, look at the, the, the movie's broken into two chapters. Yes. And the two chapters are supposed to mirror each other. There's a lot of mirroring going on. And if you light and dark, got it. Light and dark. Uh, I mean, that's the easy part. Yes. C- city, country, uh, you know, down to characters. You know, there's the madam at the whorehouse, and then there's the uh, lady at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, like two shots. I mean, like the, the, there's a lot of mirroring in the shots. Um, but I, I, you know, and that's 
why she sits in front of the mirror so much. Sure. There's, like there's there's all kinds of like thematic choices being uh, happening and 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 uh, like Watchmen. <laughs> you know, Watchmen's a mirror of itself. Yeah, when yeah. you look at the Watchmen, yeah, books, yeah. I, 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 that's probably where it came from. And, and right. uh, I know that I was taking some from Melancholia mm-hmm. um, because I, I, you know, Melancholia was a movie that was like that. It drove me crazy. The first chapter, like it's divided into two chapters. Right. And the first chapter is all at the wedding, and it just drives me crazy. It, it, like I was like I was wanting to fast forward. I felt they were trying to make me feel melancholia, right? Right, melancholy. So you know, I, I, I wanted to try something with that. It, like at some point when you ter- turn the story in, you like let's let's try to make it an experiment inside of filmmaking. So each of those movies, I'm behind that. Yeah, absolutely. Each of the movies has in in script writing. You know, has three uh, three acts inside of each chapter, sure. And there's three acts overall. Um, I tried to shoot the first pun- it, claustrophobic Stanley Kubrick, um, you know, like very uh, symmetrical and 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 go that way, and then the second half be more John Ford and open and uh, you know and, and inviting, right? Mm-hmm. So that we're supposed to feel what she what it feels like to be her, which is hard for your audience to do claustrophobia than inviting when you're inviting them into a story first. Does that make sense, Geekscapist? So, like, that's a major, like, you can shake your audience by being like, hey, I'm going to make, th- I'm going to put the challenge first. I'm not going to, I'm not going to introduce you easily. I'm just going to throw it at you first. And does that make sense? Yeah. Like, 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 even screen direction, people are going back and forth and I'm like sitting there going, you're fighting me, James. You are fighting me in this first <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and like I couldn't dismiss you because I know you and I know you're talented. And I was like, what's he doing? What is this guy doing? And then you find out, you know, and then, then like you see the, the rest of the movie and you're like, oh, this movie's cruising. This movie's really cruising. And like, you're doing like really nice stuff. And I'm like, oh, 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 you, you made us the character. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. That's you made, exactly oh, what I did. You made us the character. Oh, okay. And that's nice. Oh, I like this. <laughs> I'm a woman now. I'm a painted woman. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, I think that that's what, you know, drives it into the themes of, of what makes it important for the, you know, look, uh, you're talking about your Because you, you empower her over the course of the movie is what I'm telling, trying to tell the geekscapes. Yeah. 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 It's like that. Um, as you were talking about your analytics, I, you know, that's something I've been kind of studying on, yeah. on this movie. Um, you know, uh, the, uh, the the only real vicious things we get about it uh, come from you know very conservative right wing dudes that wanted a western the way that they knew westerns to be. And go watch another moment, like guys, you have so many westerns. There's <laughs> there's so, yeah, there's so many versions of that. And what I wanted to do was like really you know create something that uh, once I knew because look the book that they had optioned was um, you know had a little misogyny to it, right? And so what you know happened was that you know. I, I, it was like a John uh, John Wayne film. Mm-hmm. You know, those are all pretty misogynistic if you get down to it. Oh, straight up. You know, so like I thought, well, like what if we made it for women? Um, I, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not somebody that doesn't like I like to serve multiple masters, sure. right? Like I, you know, that's what we're supposed to be doing as filmmakers, like finding different audiences and, and trying to merge them and see what. So that's part of the experiment too, right? Like, right. Can, can I make something that like you know a midwestern woman? Finds himself and and trust me, uh, I've shown it at seven film festivals. I've won so many awards right now. Um, That's awesome. You know, I, yeah, I like. I, I I've never been a guy that was looking to do that, but like, you know, I make money. I'll take it. Right, but like, 
you can't take awards away from people. Right. You can take what the money that was made away. Right. But you can't take the awards away. So all filmmakers out there, man, win, win as many awards as you can. Make stories that, you know, that touch people. Um, because, you know, it's 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 been life changing for me. But um, when you know, you watch Midwestern, you know, people in Bentonville actually, right? Uh, you know, crying their eyes out. I, I had forty people. 40 women come up to me crying after the movie, you know, because they got at it. At the festival, they, at Gina Davis's festival, or just yeah, in theaters? At Gina Davis's Because I know it played, so, it played limited. It had a limited run. That was pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, what we did was that after, you know, it ran its festival course, we took it out our, to our own theaters uh, in the area that it was made. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it had sellouts every time it opened. Cool. Um, which That's was, a great idea. It was it was smart, and, you know, I could, I could run a bunch of press and then start to kind of drive it towards national press mm-hmm. from that moment. So then you get the Western magazines to start picking up on it, um, you know, True West magazine or Cowgirl magazine, and now you're into the national spotlight, and and you can, you know, I'm, it's a it's definitely a, you know, from the ground up kind of marketing scheme yeah, for, for us. We don't have do? the money to do. There's it. no science to this anymore. Like, no, no, like, absolutely not. You you got to keep trying whatever it is that, uh, as long as you can keep pushing, you keep pushing it. And look, that's what I'm trying to say overall is just that. I think that the message and the female empowerment message inside of it right now is what really gets those women to cry. And right. uh, I, I was sitting next to, in, in the theater when it was out in theaters, um, opening night in Oklahoma City, and next to a woman that ran the Muscular Dystrophy Association camp that I used to counsel at. And, uh, she, you know, and, and she's a, you know, hard, tough woman, you know, and she's bawling at the end of the movie. So it's doing that. Yeah. You know, it's 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 that kind of western. If, if if you're that kind of audience and you want that as a basic story, I'm just saying they they don't know about the two different chapters and the you know and yeah that's all, my all own the, that's my own weirdness and all the filmmaker stuff yeah. that you and I can talk about with sure. it. But I also wanted it to be smart enough that you and I could have this conversation and tell you know and to talk about all the different things that are going on in the story and and you know nobody gives a crap about three act structure when they're watching it and I don't know, like it at all. Like <laughs> yeah like. What's his name? Um, yeah, Linklater is my favorite filmmaker, and he's pretty much act proof. Like, I don't care about, I don't love it at all. No, I, I don't. I, I, I want to keep. I, I don't mind it being a basic or a, sure. or a base to to like grow the hero's from. journey. Yeah, sure. but like when, when you can start to turn it, and like in this one, having the three acts happen over each movie, but then still yeah. having a full react for yeah. people to enjoy so like they're just watching the movie they don't even know when it says chapter two mm-hmm. you know the mustanger they they're not looking for the inciting incident they're not looking for any propulsion they're just letting the movie unwind right yeah yeah and and uh in in that they love the pacing i find that females l- love that slow pace too because just as much as i'm talking about her destruction in the first half right i'm talking about her finding a, almost a love interest in the second half and we're going beat by beat what a love story is with the Mustanger, right? Yeah. Um, but then it's not about the love story, right? It's about no her. Spoilers, but I get you. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> right, without getting right, into right. the story away. Right, right, right. But it's, uh, it, it's, that's the things that really excited me to do as a filmmaker um, and why I'm so damn proud of it now. That's that, And that's cool. Sure. Um, I, you know, who knew I would be winning Best Romance at this point in my career? I when, did. <laughs> Just looking at you. Oh, well, <laughs> Or as as our eyes met, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's incredible. How and the awards have been plenty. Yeah, we won a uh, uh, best. I've won best film, best romance, best director. Um, all the actors have won. Uh, best, yes, uh, 
I think the performances in it are pretty amazing. Um, I uh, was very excited. You know, Matt Dallas um, here from Kyle XY uh, playing Frank Dean, the, the assassin character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that guy really came in and rocked it because, you know, I mean, he's from Phoenix, Arizona and playing a Kentucky gentleman with a, I mean, he, he, nailed, right. he nailed the accent. I do declare. I, I can't do it. Um, well, dude, uh, the movie is called Painted Woman. You guys can find it at pretty much any Walmart. Yeah, uh, it's it's but it's in, also, every, it's in every Walmart. It's uh, for sure because you guys have some exclusive thing, right? Yeah, which is so smart. Yeah, it's so smart to get that deal. And then obviously, you guys can find it on Vudu and all of the VODs. Just look for it, Painted Woman. Um, you might. You might like it, and I think, I think filmmakers should check it out just to see what it looks like when an, when when a director is like, you know what, I'm going for some weird. St- I'm gonna like, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna move some pieces around. <laughs> I'm moving the furniture around, and it's like taking a western and moving the furniture around, and then inviting somebody in and being like, find a place to sit, and you're like, I don't recognize this. <laughs> yes, which should be what you do in a movie every now and then. Um, or just do that. It's awesome. Um, James, what about, wh- where can people find you online and all that stuff? Oh man, I'm uh, definitely Facebook, uh, Twitter, all that stuff. It's, it's James Cotton, C-O-T-T-E, and you'll find mm-hmm. me. Um, yeah, definitely, you know, IMDB and all the regular filmmaking things, but and uh, find me on find me on all those social media sites. It's awesome. And then... Um, Dark Highway Films, media. Dot media. Dark, hi- Dark Highway Films? Uh, yeah, Dark Highway dot media okay yeah it's my my company's dark highway films but uh you know yeah. been with daniel trying to get into uh doing you know my own comics and stuff so, too, so dark so now it's dark highway media yeah and that's that's what they look for online yeah um so guys seek out james he's gonna have plenty more stuff coming down the pipe as uh you just heard on the geekscape podcast he's got he's pretty damn busy um we love him here um d- dude James has been a creative brother. I love fucking talking movies with him. It's the best. And as you can tell by this almost hour and a half podcast. It's been an hour and a half, really? Hell yeah, baby. Matt, <laughs> Pen, Matt Penfield's going to kill me. Uh, he comes in next. Uh, but as you can tell, I love talking film with him. Um, Geekscape is will now leave you to the rest of your week. Keep checking the Geekscape um, podcast player on omni listen we moved to omni what we need but we need your help in promoting it if you can please 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 share the podcast any episode with your friends take your favorite episode share it with your friends tell them to subscribe to geekscape on any of their podcatchers if you're on itunes leave us those five stars leave us a review you have no idea how much that helps uh the folks here at westwood one have moved us on omni I'm loving it. I'm loving the analytics. Shout out Silver Spring. But um, again, we need your help. We want every city in America to flourish like Silver Spring has flourished. We want every city in America in the world to be a Silver Spring, uh, Maryland. So please share, share, share the podcast. It's important now as it's ever been in Geekscape's history uh, as we enter this new chapter. And I'm so excited about it. But we need your help. Love you so much. We will uh, have a brand new spanking podcast for you guys again next week. Geekscape forever. For James, goodbye, and I love you.